Gospel of John chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to uh, find your spot there. Amen. Gospel of John chapter 1. And we're going to talk, the message is entitled, Present With Us. Present with us. So, amen. Praise God. Well, we, um, the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus, so the incarnation is just reference to the Son of God becoming flesh, okay? Uh, it means he was clothed with flesh, with humanity, um, muscle, skin, all right? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the birth of Jesus, but they do it in a way where you have Mary and Joseph, the angels, the shepherds. You have the visitations of Anna and Simeon. You have difficulties. You have mystery. That's how they tell the birth of Jesus, right? John tells it in a whole different way. So John, he's that fourth gospel, but he, he, he has a lot of uniquenesses. He's the most unique um, of the Gospels, and, uh, but he was also the disciple that is described as the one that Jesus loved, had a little bit more, a closer relationship with Jesus maybe than the others did. So John tells it in a different way. Instead of saying, you know, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the donkey and all that, he says that the Word became flesh, right? So he's philosophical, he's theological in the way he says it, but in doing so, he clears a lot of mystery and maybe questions that concerned who Jesus was, all right? And some of those you may have even asked yourself, okay? And they asked him back in those days. Um, he's writing to more to the Greeks. They were very philosophical. And they, would, um, they really saw maybe Jesus more just as a spirit and not so much flesh, okay? Because they saw spirit as very good, but he, they saw flesh, humanity, as something evil, almost even sinful. So the more something was spiritual, the better it was, all right? And so there was always this question, was Jesus a good man, just a prophet? Or was he actually um, the Son of God? All right, did you guys just lose me? All right, okay, all right. Um, or was he just the Son of God? Am I still coming through? All right, okay. Okay, you see, turn me down. All right, okay. All right. And so, um, but he uh, told it in a way to answer those questions that people had. Was he just a good man or was he actually the Son of God? And so when you look at it from a biblical point of view, Jesus was God, but he was also human, 100% each. And that is a hard thing to, for our human minds to understand because usually people are human or they are spirit, right? And Jesus was both. And so um, in the passage that Anna read earlier, it talks about that. We'll refer back to that. But I want to take us to John chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 18. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation this morning. Um, I just like the way it states it a little bit better than the NIV. And so... Um, before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your living word of God. And so we pray that you would take it and apply it to our heart and to our life today in a powerful way, Lord God. We just pray for an open heart and mind just to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. And we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. 
So let's read this together. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And so that word, Word, okay, that's capitalized there is, is a Greek word, logos. And you don't have to remember that. But it was a word that was commonly used back in John's time. And it was recognizable both to a Jewish population or to a Greek Gentile population. It meant something to them. But by using that word, word, logos, he's, he's, he's meaning that it's different, okay? And so we're going to talk a little more about that. So that is referring to Jesus, that the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And so God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Okay, so we got light and life. And he came into the world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And they are reborn, not in a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So we learn more about that with um, in Jesus' discussion in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Verse 14, so the word became human and Avisa's flesh, and he made his home amongst us. We, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness or grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one, Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone was coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have received one glorious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but Moses' unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one unique one who is God himself. He is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. Amen? So, John begins, and he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, that sounds a lot like another passage of Scripture in your Bible. Can anybody nail what that is? Genesis 1. Yeah. And so John really takes some of that same verbiage that we see in John, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here, John says, in the beginning was the Word. All right? And so that word logos is a Greek word that was in wide circulation And it had different meanings, though, between the Jews and the Gentiles. But the idea that John is trying to convey is that Logos, Jesus, the Word, was God's spoken and living Word. In other words, He wasn't just words on a page, okay? Or He wasn't even just spoken Word through, like, the prophets. Rather, He was the embodiment of God's Word in human form. So when people saw Jesus they were seeing a copy of God's Word, okay? 
So how many got your Bible, whether it's on a phone or a tablet or whatever? Okay, some of you are digging it out. There it is. Okay, it's up on the screen. So when they saw Jesus, they were actually seeing the Word of God in action, in life. Does that make sense? So John uses that word, the Word became flesh. The author of Hebrews says it a little bit like this. He says, um, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1, Long ago God spoke in many times, in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Okay, in the Old Testament. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as his inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down with honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So there's a few things that I want us just to note here about Jesus and who Jesus was, some characteristics. First of all, he is co-equal with God the Father. Now sometimes, you know, we Scripture uses he is the Son of God. So sometimes when we think in that terminology, sometimes the Father is greater than the Son, right? In human terms, right? Are you with me? But in when we're talking about God, the Son is equal with the Father, okay? And that is echoed in Hebrews, it is echoed in John, Colossians, Jesus was equal with God the Father, all right? He was coexistent with the Father, so when the Father created the heavens and the earth, who was there? Jesus was. He was always been and He always will be, okay? He was with God in the beginning. He is God, that's the third thing. So, He, was, uh, he wasn't just a ghost, he wasn't just a prophet. So some thought he was just this spirit that floated around, that kind of like a hologram, okay, right? So that's what some thought. Some thought he was just a good man. He was a prophet. That's what Islam believes, right? Jesus was just one of the prophets, right? But Jesus was the Son of God. He was equal. He's existed with the Father from time began. Also, he is light. So the light comes into the darkness, right? So... Some people liked the light because it showed them the way, and some people kind of, it's like when you're getting up in the morning and it's dark and you flip on the lights and it's kind of like what? Right? You close your eyes, right? You ever been there? Sometimes the light can be a little harsh, can it? And we're going to talk about how Jesus came with grace and truth and just that idea of light, all right? And he was life. And this really pertains to the creation part of it, that as he gave life to all that was created, you know, we observe life in so many different ways, don't we? Um, we, we see life and death before us usually day after day, right? Um, there's death and then there's life. It's a beautiful thing, but He is the one that sustains all things and He is the one that gives life. And then also He is clothed with flesh, okay? So we've talked about that, that the Word became flesh or became human. So there's three things that I want us to to pull from verse 14. That's where we're just going to kind of drill down on verse 14 this morning, okay? We're just going to kind of look at that verse. And Jesus became human to accomplish a few different things, all right? So the first one is that he became human to dwell amongst us, to dwell amongst us. So I'm going to read that verse 14 in a couple different translations, quite a few of them. Chris is going to help me out with this. The first one is the NLT, New Living Translation. So the Word became human, made His home 
amongst us. Isn't that just kind of, hey, he's there, right? Like he's sitting in your living room, right? Isn't that, wouldn't that be cool? You just knock, hear the knock at the door, there's Jesus, and he comes in and has a meal with you, okay? Wouldn't that be cool? He is in spirit, right? But he did that when he walked upon this earth. And he was full of unfailing love, so some of the translations say grace, and faithfulness, some of the translations say truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one, the Father's one and only Son. The NIV says the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, and we have seen his glory. That word glory is an important word. um, Glory has a weightiness to it, okay? So if you study it throughout Scripture, when, glo- when God's glory filled the place, people couldn't stand. They had to bow down. They had to fall. There was a weight that came to that, okay? You're standing in the presence of glory. And so, humanly, we have to respond to that, okay? He was, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. English Standard Version. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. A couple more. New American Standard. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we've beheld His glory. The glory of the one only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Young's literal translation, and you're probably not going to ever read Young's literal translation, but it's, it really takes it very literally from the Hebrew and the Greek. The Word became flesh and did tabernacle. Okay, now we got a new word there, right? The other ones are saying he dwelt among us, but now we have this word tabernacle because that is really what the Greek word is saying. He tabernacled amongst us. He pitched a tent in our neighborhood. That's literally what it means. We'll come back to that. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And then the message translation so this reads more like a paraphrase, but the Word became flesh and blood, moved into our neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous in the inside and out. That's the grace part, true from start to finish. That's the faithfulness and the truth. Amen. So that expression, dwelling or tabernacling amongst us, is literally he pitched our, his tent or tabernacled amongst us. Now, where, where else do we hear that word tabernacle in Scripture? You think? Old Testament. So they are taken out of Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai. After they leave Mount Sinai, they go into the wilderness. And God instructs them to build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was a big tent, and within that were some important things, especially the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of the localized presence of the presence of God, all right? And so wherever they went in the wilderness, they would take the tabernacle with them, and it was pitched right in the center of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it really paints a picture that God wanted to dwell in the midst of them, in the center of them. He wanted to be part, center of their life. you getting that? And so that was not just for the Old Testament. Now that comes into the New Testament where God now sends His Son and He would dwell amongst us. That He wants to be part and the center of your life. And I think sometimes in our Western culture, God's over here and we're over here. We live our life and then maybe on Sunday or maybe small group, we we come over to this side. But there's kind of these two compartments of our life. 
And that's never God's design. God wants to be in the center of our life. He wants to be there for our victories, for our joy, for our difficulties, for all that we do. The good, the bad, the ugly, the temptation, the victories, right? He wants to be there for all of it. He wants to be in the center of our life. All right, I need to get back to my notes. You know, and so the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. And so the only way that God could really do that in human form is for Him to become flesh. But the only way that God could become flesh is He had to give up some of His omnis. And so usually I talk about this at Christmas time. His omnis. So what are some of His omnis? Omniscient means that you're all-knowing, right? And God's all-knowing, right? But if you're going to be human, you can't be all-knowing, right? That's just kind of like cheating, right? It's kind of like, I know the answer to that test, right? (laughs) And so he had to set aside that. That's what the passage in Philippians says. He emptied himself. He set these attributes aside so that he could become a servant, so he could become human and confined to a human body. His omniscience, what else? Omnipresence. That means you can be all places at once. And God is in spirit, right? But if you're going to be human, you cannot do that, right? Right? You have to be confined to a body. And so Jesus had to set aside that attribute so that he could, he could only be in one place at once, right? He had to set that aside. What, else, what other omni did he have to set aside? Omnipotent. It means you're all-powerful. You know, God is all-powerful, right? But he had to set that aside so that he could be human because humans aren't all-powerful, okay? We're not Avengers or anything like that, right? Okay? We are human beings, right? And so when Jesus, but you said, but Jesus did miracles. He walked on water. Yeah, he did. But he didn't do it through his own power. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's an important part to catch because when he did the miracles and he says, hey, greater things will you do because I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit. That was crucial because the same Spirit that allowed him to do the miracles dwells in you and I. Amen? So he set aside those things so that he could become human. Why? He wanted to share in our humanness. He wanted to share in our pain, our struggles, our temptations. You think, oh, temptation, right? That's the part we don't like to talk about, right? But was Jesus tempted? Yeah. We're in talk. Hebrews talks about that. He was viciously tempted in, in the wilderness by Satan, right? over a 40-year period of time. Um, he, he shared in all the joy, the stress, the temptation, the sorrow. He knew what it was like to be stressed as he went to the cross and he sweat drops of blood. He shared in our humanity. And I think that's important because when we come to God and we say, God, I'm going through this time and you probably don't understand. And he says, yeah, I do understand because I've walked where you have walked. And sometimes when we're showing compassion to other people, we can, Right? And sometimes we say, yeah, I understand what you're saying, or I understand where you're at. And sometimes we, we have no clue. But sometimes we've walked through their pain. And when somebody's walked through your pain, they have an empathy. There's a connection there, right? Because they understand what you're going through. Jesus understands what you're going through. And physical presence is so important, um, especially like what Chris is talking about this morning, or just if you're a hospital chaplain or a pastor, you know what, if you're just a lay person and you're just talking with people, physical presence is so important. 
um, somebody has passed away and you're, you're, you're comforting them, they don't really care about what you have to say, what's important to them. You're there, right? You're just there with them. That assurance to know that, hey, somebody is there standing with me. Physical presence. You know, it's like the young child. You've maybe heard this story, you know, the thunderstorm is coming. And it's just the house is shaking, right? And, and he goes, finds mom and dad. And they, you know, they pray with him and say, Jesus is with you. And they comfort him and they're going to leave. And the child says, you know, they're, still, that's, they're not buying it, <laughs> right? And they said, sometimes we just, I just need Jesus with skin on, right? In other words, they want the parent to be there. So there's something about physical presence and you know what? God had sent His truth. He had sent His Word to us through the prophets, through Moses and others. They had God's Word. But now God the Father was sending His Son in human form to be present among us. You catching that? Hebrews four fourteen through 16, it says, Therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So he was tempted, and temptation is not sin. So if you sometimes think, man, I must be a horrible person because I'm tempted, that just means that you're human, okay? But Jesus did it without sin, and he calls us to do the same. And he's there supporting us, and giving us the strength to do that. Because of that, verse 16 says, Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and find mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus became human, right? So that he could dwell amongst us and identify with us and be present with us. Secondly, that ties into that is that Jesus became human to extend God's grace. To extend God's grace. It says that Jesus came and he is full of grace and truth. So let's talk a little bit about grace. Grace, if you want to define it, grace is usually seen as God giving us something that we don't deserve. Or maybe somebody else giving you something you don't deserve. So when we talk about in a spiritual sense, it would be God giving us the gift of salvation. Do I earn it? Do I deserve it? No. Do you deserve it? No. But God in His grace gives us the gift of salvation. That is grace. Mercy is similar to it. It just means that God doesn't give us what we do deserve, right? Scripture says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we deserve death. We deserve His judgment. But He placed His judgment upon who? Upon Jesus. He stood in our place, right? He took our punishment, our sin, our pain, our punishment. All right? And so mercy is God doesn't give us what we do deserve, His judgment and His wrath. And so as Jesus healed the sick, He raised the dead, He cast out evil spirits, people experienced God's grace and His compassion before their very eyes. They were set free from their torment, from their pain. That is compassion, isn't it? And you say, man, I wish I could do that. Well, you know, in some ways you can. You can pray for people. God would never answer my prayer. Have you tried? You might be surprised. God, you may un- underestimate the power that He's given and placed upon you and I as believers in Christ. Reach out in faith. 
God extended his grace and compassion. If you go through the gospel, John, you'll see the woman at the well, chapter 4 of John. You know, she was a nobody in the world's eyes. I mean, really. By society, she was a nobody. She, she was a Samaritan, so she wasn't Gentile. She wasn't Jewish. She was a half-breed. The Jews considered them dogs. She was a woman, so, you know, and I know that's a hot topic right now, just a kind of a, right in our culture right now. But in their culture, I'm, I'm sorry, w- women just, they were second class. I'm, that's the way the culture was then. It wasn't a biblical culture. It was just culture. And so women were often overlooked, all right? And beyond that, she had not only been married once, but like four or five times, and the person she was with now wasn't her husband. Folks, she was a nobody in the eyes of the world. But you know what? Jesus specifically went through Sychar, went to that well, had a one-on-one dialogue conversation. It's one of the most beautiful dialogues that we see in the Gospel of John, probably next to Nicodemus. And he shares, he goes, I'm going to give you water. I have water that you can drink that will last forever and it will give you life. And she goes, I want some of that water. And she comes to believe. And not only does she believe, but she goes back to her town and tells all the people, hey, I'm going to show you a man that's told me everything I've ever done. Woo! (laughs) We'd all like to say that, right? And the community came out and many believed in her town. They came to know Christ. You have the Canaanite woman. She lived in the northern part of Israel, and she was Canaanite. She was Gentile. And Jesus happened to come to her village, and the, the disciple says, nope, you're not Jewish, we're pushing you away. They said he, you know, they were kind of doing the crowd control, and she kept crying out because she had a daughter that needed to be healed. If you're a parent, you understand that, right? If your son or daughter is sick, you're going to do everything you can. And she's persistent. She's not going to be told no. And even Jesus says, you know, I'm kind of sent to the lost people of Israel, but she was quick. She says, what? Even dogs eat the crumbs that fall to the floor. And Jesus says, wow, I've never seen such great faith. In that moment, her daughter was healed. Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus had wealth. He had power. He was a tax collector. But still, he was distanced from God, and I think he had a hunger to know God, but he didn't feel worthy. I, that would be the word I would use. I don't think he felt worthy because of he had, some of his money he had gotten dishonestly, and so he didn't feel worthy. But he was hungry. He was searching, so he climbs up a tree, right? And he, he listens to Jesus from a distance. And most people would have just walked on by and not even paid any attention to Zacchaeus that day. But Jesus says, hey, how are you doing up in that tree, right? He says, I'm going to come over to your house and have supper with you. Zacchaeus says, okay, all right. And you know what? Zacchaeus believes, and he gives back all his dishonest money, gives it back to the people, gave it away. Compassion. And then there's the thief on the cross. Jesus Jesus is crucified between two thieves, right? Right? One on his left and his right. One curses Jesus, and the other one kind of says, you know, I, I know you're the Son of God. I, he goes, I, I'm dying on the cross, but I deserve it because I'm a thief. I've done wrong. And so they begin to have the dis, you know, discussion on the cross, right? Well, what a place to have a discussion, right? You're dying on a cross, and you're talking about the things of life. That's probably when you need to talk about it. But he believes, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. 
God extends grace and compassion, even in the final, final moments of life. As you read through the Gospels, those are just a few of them. You see story after story as God extended compassion, grace, and mercy to people. And so when Jesus came, He was the living Word of God. He dwelt amongst us, and He extended grace. He showed the soft part of God, right? Hey, that God does care. He's not just up in the sky. He cares about your pain. He cares about your discomfort. He cares about your spiritual condition. But He also came one more thing. Jesus became human so that to reveal God's truth. Truth is like a dark room. It's like light in a dark room. It provides illumination so knowing where you're walking. It exposes both the good and the bad, right? Right? Lighting can hide things, but it also can clarify things, right? Yeah. And sometimes we want to know God's truth, but sometimes God's truth also reveals the ugly stuff in our hearts, whether it's attitudes, thoughts, motives. And so God's truth can be a little bit harsh. But what's important about Jesus is that he led with grace and and then followed up by truth. He led by grace and followed up by truth. And if there's anything that we in the church in America today, and I'm not just saying our church, but the churches as a whole, is sometimes we lead with truth and forget about the grace. And so that's kind of harsh. It's like that light. We're shining on the light, but we're not providing any grace. Now, there's other people that say, hey, we're just going to be grace, all lovey-dovey. It's all love. It's all grace. And there's no truth, right? And that doesn't do any good because you can love on people all you want, but if you don't share the truth of how to know God, then you're not helping them out, right? It's both grace and truth. And so Jesus would do this in his Sermon on the Mount. I, um, the, the one story that just came to mind where Jesus modeled that is uh, when we had Ernie Salinas with us. He talked about the woman caught in adultery. But, you know, she was guilty. I, I don't think there's any case, you know, she was guilty. Now, why the man that she was cheating with wasn't brought there, we don't know. It's just probably part of that culture again. But they bring this woman that was caught in adultery, and they bring him before, her before Jesus and said, and they probably have stones in their hand, and the penalty called for her to be stoned, right? Executed right there. Pretty harsh, right? And they want to see what Jesus is going to do. They're ready to judge. They're ready to throw stones. And Jesus writes in the ground and and she goes, so how many have condemned you? And she says, nobody. And, and he goes, neither do I. So he extends to her what? Grace or mercy, right? But then he tells her what? Go and sin no more. There's the truth part. Grace and truth. We lead with grace and then we follow it up with truth. Scripture says that God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Jesus was God's present to us so that we could have somebody that had walked where we had walked, that was present with us and dwelt amongst us, that we could know God's grace, but also that we could know His truth. 
and that ultimately we could believe. And that's the gospel of John. He, you look up at that word believe, and it's over and over in there. He wanted to write in such a way that people would believe. Why? Because then they could become children of God. They could have that gift of salvation. Amen? I'm going to have the musicians come. You know, the story of Christmas is God gave us His one and only Son in human form. Jesus was God's present to us so that we could know His presence, know His grace, and know His truth. And these three points are crucial as we are a light in a dark world because the Gospel of Matthew tells us we are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and give glory to who? Our Father in heaven, right? So how do we do that? We follow the example of Jesus. By being present with people, with family, with friends, with neighbors. I'm a big advocate. Get involved in your community, wherever that is. Get in your community. Because it's in there that you're going to have the opportunities to minister to people and to to be Christ to people. And sometimes it's Francis of Assisi that says, you know what? Um, Tell anybody you know about Christ. If necessary, use words. So what was he saying? He says, let your actions speak louder than your words, right? Um, Be present with people. Lead with grace. You know, if you feel God saying you need to tell somebody about Christ, you know, use a little grace before that. Before you say, hey, you're going to hell, right? Um, I know you'd never do that. But lead with grace. Lead with grace. And then follow it up with truth. Tell them about your hope that you have in Christ. That's always a good way. Tell them about the hope and how you came to know Christ. I always enjoy hearing people's story of how they came to know Christ. Nobody's exactly the same. And I'm always marveled at how God has been working in the lives of people, not just... Sometimes I get to see that moment where they pray the prayer, right? And and finalize it or get baptized and things like that. But see, the journey began before that. Maybe as they were a child or, or somewhere along the line, God was working in their life. I enjoyed that part because I know God is working even sometimes when we can't see it. He's working in the lives of people. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. And I don't know uh, where you're at. Maybe you know the truth. Maybe you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. I sure hope you do. But if you don't, we want to remove any doubt this morning. I believe we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have a hope, the hope of heaven. And that I know Christ is in my heart, that my sins are forgiven. I can leave here this morning knowing that, yeah, the slate's been wiped clean. Can God do that? Absolutely. He can do that this morning. You say, you know what? You don't understand what I've done. And I said, well, I maybe don't. But he does. Amen? He does. He does. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If that's you this morning, I'm going to encourage all of us to pray. That's what we do here. We pray together because we probably all need it every Sunday, right? Um, but we're going to pray a prayer of salvation. And if you mean it, I believe God honors that. And so let's pray together this morning saying, Dear God, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. This morning, forgive me of my sins. 
Cleanse me of all my sin. Be my Lord and be my Savior. And help me to live each day for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Lord, this morning, let us bow that knee towards you, Lord God, and just thank you that God sent his Son, that light into this world, forgave us of all of our sin. And Lord, keep us under that grace each and every day. Just even as we leave today and we go into our work week, Lord God, and Jesus, you even know just the temptation that surrounds us, whether it is, it comes in a lot of different shapes or forms, and it pulls us away from you, whether it's to depend upon our own strength, our own finances, our own ability, our own power. Lord God, keep us close to you and never let us lose sight of that God sent his son so that we may believe and have hope and have life. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise this morning. Everybody said amen. Hey, we are going into Christmas. Next Sunday, we're going to have, we're going to dive into the Gospels again one more time and look at the birth of Jesus. So that'll be on the 12th. Is that right? All right. And then on the 19th is the Christmas program. And then on the 24th at 4 o'clock will be our Christmas Eve service. And so, um, I mean, I just never did Christmas Eve services when I was starting off in ministry. They weren't part of our, I don't know, traditions or whatever. Um, but I've, it's, they've really grown on me. I've, I feel like especially, um, and even if you're not in town, if you're someplace else, find a Christmas Eve service. Why? Because I think it just helps to really focus that moment and that time of, that it's not just all the presents and all that. Those are all good, right? But it really helps to focus yourself and your family on what Christmas is all about. And so we're going to have ours 4 o'clock on the Christmas Eve. Uh, we make it a beautiful time. It's kind of candlelit, uh, uh, communion, short message, some uh, special music. So it'll be a great time. And then we'll also be here the day after Christmas on the 26th. So, um, so please, you know, if you're around, don't. I don't want to be here all alone, all right? <laughs> so... Um, come. Your hair can be messy. You can even be in your PJs. Maybe we should make it a PJ. Is that good? All right. Okay. God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave and uh, good to have you here.